Sorry for the short delay. I have a lot of buttons to press on my side. I think I've pressed all of the right ones. My name is Paul Ducklin. I am a senior technologist at Sophos, and I'm joined by James Birchall. Now, James, you're well known inside the company for being extra super enthusiastic <laughs> about and, and energetic about not only being able to explain complicated problems in a way people can understand, but also to get them excited enough to want to go out and fix them. So that's why today it's the last webinar of the week's series. We thought we'd have a title that involved ransomware, but went to all things malware and cyber threat beyond. So welcome. Thank and you, let's start with ransomware. Yeah. Rewind to the beginning. Yeah. Many people probably don't know that the first ransomware actually appeared in 1989. The guy who wrote mm. it nearly went to prison, but eventually didn't. He, he couldn't figure out how to make money out of it. No one did much with ransomware for 20 years from there. And then it kind of became big business, didn't mm, it? Yeah. So do you want to tell us about the first sort of ransomware, the police locker ransomware that we that we had in the, I guess, the from around about 2010 onwards? Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. So um, you're right. Yeah. PC Cyborg, wasn't it back in 1989? Yes, um, that was the name of the kind of company. Been around, yeah. And it had, um, uh, it's in, interesting, I suppose, how that was spread or how it was distributed um, floppy disks yeah. <laughs> yeah there being no no common internet access uh, that's right and and actually so you mentioned of course about the, the locker variants which we saw um uh, around 2010 um but even before that the crypto and, and more kind of ransom attitude towards malware was, was had, a, had, a, had a history and we look at say um things like misleading applications um, so cyber criminals starting to think, okay, well, how can I maybe make some revenue um, through things like, can you remember these programs where you could download them and speed up your performance and it would find issues, um, which weren't really issues. Maybe you just had some corrupt files and then you pay a price and it oh, helped clean those up. fake antivirus scene. Yeah, actually, so it kind of predated that. I mean, that's what, there was a pivot point from these misleading applications onto the fake antivirus. And for me, it's quite interesting to see that, of course, they started off actually you know, trying to help, right? So they were saying, you know, you've got all these issues, download, pay for this premium application, which can help solve those problems. And they did, they did this real switch to, as you said, the, the fake antivirus to say, okay, we've now found loads of malware, supposedly, with those lightning fast scans. If anyone remembers those, you know, you do it in like 20 seconds. In fact, um, some of them would be, if you were in your web browser, it would actually just be a little flash video yeah. that showed a progress bar yeah. and listed a whole load of file names that were like the ones that you had, but they didn't even do a scan. No. They just, they showed a film of a scan they'd done earlier on somebody else's <laughs> yeah. computer. But it, but it worked because there was enough for them to actually convince people to say, oh no, there must be something wrong and then pay for the year subscription or then if, you know, an extra $20 or 20 pounds got you, you know, the, the lifetime for uh, support for, for that antivirus program. Technically, I suppose, the, the stuff that they're foisting on you, it's kind of malware. But by mm. today's definition, it didn't do anything lastingly bad to your computer. No. So it didn't steal passwords. It didn't lock files. It didn't no. monitor your keystrokes. Mm. It just showed you a dishonest video. Yeah. And that was all. And the malicious part was just the intent, wasn't it? That the scan was free, but if you wanted to clean up and I'm using air quotes that our <laughs> listeners can't see, then you had to pay. Yeah. And of course, the cleanup was simply that the program stopped telling you that there was a threat that didn't exist. Yeah, and I, that's probably why they then thought they needed to have another pivot point in towards that locker ransomware, because they're relying with fake AV for someone, I suppose, to care. 
there was a, 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 a kind of lot of carrot but no stick. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, so um, of course then they moved on to more of that pressing that we've, we've locked your phone or we've, we saw lots of Android variants of this locker type of uh, ransomware. Before we then, of course, made that pivot point onto the crypto ransomware, which we're all very, very familiar with today. It always used to be called police locker ransomware, which always reminded mm. me of cop shows and the place yeah. where the where the, the cops will put their civvy clothes when they change it into uniform <laughs> and so the locker in the locker room. But really what was meant is that it would lock your phone so you couldn't really use it or they made it difficult to use. Mm. And then you were supposed to pay money and often there was some kind of police fine threat or you'd, mm. you'd, 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 you'd watch the wrong sort of pornography or you'd downloaded mm. pirated software or something like mm. that. Yeah. And the whole idea was that... Y- in some cases, you couldn't even make calls, could you, on your phone? No. And then again, they already started to use then some very clever social engineering. So they would show your location, they'd be able to find your location. And then they'd actually be able to load up maybe you know the correct language and the correct uh, law enforcement for it as well. Um, and also, again, maybe even enable your camera and take a picture and say, look, we've you know, caught you in the act, like you said. Um, <laughs> so you'd have this you know, blurry picture of yourself through your webcam and uh, so, uh, you know, angry policeman. Or in one case, I remember Barack Obama standing there pointing his finger saying, you've been a very bad person uh, trying to convince you. There were actually, there were some stories in the news, if anyone remembers, of people being so convinced um, that they even went down to the local police station to say, oh, look, you've, you've caught me in the act. You know, I've, I've got yes, this. Yes, we've wrote about a couple yeah. of those on Naked Security. <laughs> they, they actually went and turned themselves in for yeah. quite hideous, I think in one case, like yeah. crimes relating to child abuse yeah. and child pornography. Although those guys made loads of money and they had a bit of a stick that your phone was locked, people soon learned and word got around that you could you could deal with this by yourself, right? Because, for example, if it was your PC, you could boot off a CD or a USB key, Safe recovery mode. disk like Sophos bootable antivirus, remove the, remove the malware that was putting the lock in place, mm. and all your files were left untouched. Mm. And I guess that's what led some crooks to think, let's go back to this whole idea of scrambling files on your computer. Mm. That way they don't need to upload anything. Mm. So they're not actually stealing your data, mm. which would mean they, you know, if they want to steal 200 gigabytes, mm. they might, might take hours on your network connection and you probably notice. What they do is they lock the files in place and say, hey, 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 guess who's got the only copy of the key? Yeah, and I think this is what's made ransomware, if I could ever say, you know, the, the malware of the decade, decade. People, you know, if they think someone's touched their files and now has removed access to those files. And even on a personal level, you know, your wedding pictures or photos of your kids at home, you're kind of touching people at a different level. Um, you know, it's not just that there's a problem with the machine. You're now saying that we've got this real personal data about you and we're the only ones who can read it. So it makes people respond a lot, a lot quicker and yeah, definitely a lot more from an emotional aspect. And yeah. the crooks kind of set the price point right, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, pretty well. We shouldn't laugh, although I nearly did when I first heard this story. There is one strain of ransomware that it figures out your location and then it uses the Big Mac index, okay. which is you know how much a Big Mac costs in your country. Okay. And that gives you an idea of the buying potential of the local currency. Yeah. And the crooks actually look up the Big Mac index for your country yeah. and use that to set the ransomware price point <laughs> as a multiplier. So okay. they figure they're squeezing you just hard enough. Because you have a, I, I've heard you give talks where you're advising people on ransomware, and mm. you've noticed, haven't you, that say in the UK, it's kind of usually about the same as one month's payment on your the cool car you bought. Yeah. So it hurts to pay; it hurts a lot. But for most people, they you can kind of just about squeeze it. You can just about make it. Ransomware as a service, we're seeing a, certainly a rise in, and crimeware as a service as well is allowing 
not just the cyber criminals themselves to execute at a higher level, but allowing more people to be cyber criminals and executing with things like advanced payloads. Like, like okay, so you use this term crimeware as a service, C-A-A-S. Mm. Tell us more about that and mm-hmm. why it's changed the rules of the game a little bit. Yeah, sure. So I suppose back in the day, you had the cyber criminals who found the exploits and, and then maybe then performed actions with those exploits themselves. But they now have an avenue where they can sell those exploits onto somebody who maybe creates an exploit kit. Um, they in turn then sell that exploit kit onto a wannabe cyber criminal, maybe a script kiddie, um, who can then be an affiliate. I did a talk about the, the Satan um, uh, ransomware as a service or crime as a service kit, which you wrote about on, on Naked Security as well, actually. Obviously, if the crooks write some ransomware and then they you buy copies mm. of it, even if they change it slightly for each customer, they can't easily control whether you whether you squeeze money out of a hundred people or a million people. Mm. So, in the case of Satan, they do every they do the hosting and everything, don't they? You just sort of sign up, you create an account, they generate the malware sample for you, you distribute it somehow, and mm-hmm. presumably they can help with that for a fee. Yep. And then they collect the money, so you don't have to, and they deal with all the bitcoins. Yep. And basically, they just it's like they it's like they copied iTunes with a 30% royalty and they just take 30% of what you make. Blazingly copied them. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. You don't have to pay to be a member and you're just signing up. And the trickiest part of all of it, I suppose, is trying to then distribute and and then actually hack humans to then maybe click on a link in an email, for example. So the guys running the service, they're hiding behind Tor and Bitcoins and the whole payment network. Mm -hmm. They're generating the malware and sending it to you anonymously. So the cyber crook doesn't have to be a techie doesn't have to know how to program, doesn't even have to know what public key cryptography is. But in return for 70% of the revenue, they're taking the risk of being the guys who have to actually take the malware and implant it on victims' computers. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And there's even tools then for them to get over, you know, the hardest hurdle, um, which could be employing that social engineering. Um, you, you talked about bots as well, you know, employing bots to actually send out your spam campaigns. Um, there is a whole armory of tools that they can use effectively on, on the Tor network. And so this is, again, one of the many different aspects people could go down, you know, if they w- wanted to use ransomware, which we're seeing in about 60% of payloads on exploit kits being ransomware payloads. But that means we still have 40% of other payloads that are being used maybe to help create botnets or to install things like keyloggers, remote access trojans, banking trojans. So is ransomware really the worst sort of malware you can get? Let's assume you have a backup. So you don't have to pay the crooks and you can recover. Isn't it worse to have something like a bot where you know that the bot has three or four features built into it, but it also has a feature that goes and downloads other stuff on a Friday, it's a keylogger, on Tuesday, it's a spammer, on Wednesday, it's a banking trojan. That adaptability and updatability, that's very different from the average ransomware isn't that sort of malware actually worse? <laughs> well, one uh, dangerous word you use is assume you have a good, oh, a backup. You didn't even say good, did you? <laughs> That's, I think the problem is a lot of businesses do that. They just assume that they have a backup, let alone actually do we have a good backup. And that's just one of many 
not just security flaws, but IT flaws, which the cyber criminals are, are relying on um, to, to make things like ransomware and banking trojans and everything else, you know, more and more kind of uh, all of an impact. Um, I would personally say they're probably all as bad as each other. It really depends on your current situation. Uh, when it comes down to things like ransomware and bots, they all have dramatic effects on your brand, your reputation, especially when we start seeing things like GDPR, you know, the, the time frame from that is getting shorter and shorter for people to comply. Um, and being hit with something like ransomware or even just actually some piece of malware touching your customer data could re you know, result in having an audit or um, you know, if you have a whistleblower internally or someone knows that their data has been leaked, um, then yeah, you may have to prove you have the adequate technology in place and adequate security measures in place to actually protect that data in the first place. Yes, it would be an irony, wouldn't it, if you had to go back to the regulator or so the, the information commissioner in the mm. UK under GDPR and say, oh, well, we got hit by ransomware, but it was the type of ransomware that doesn't upload data, it just uploads the key. And all the data was still on our servers and it was all scrambled. And yes, we had to pay the cooks to get the key back, but they didn't take anything. So technically, it doesn't count as a data <laughs> breach. It would be a pretty feeble excuse wouldn't it? It would and you'd have to go pretty blue in the face to try and convince them that that's actually um, they're going to let you off. That's well right. we had Monday's webinar with John Shaw was about GDPR mm. uh, you know and he said that all the lawyers he he's spoken to offered the opinion that that very much is a breach because yeah. it proves that the crooks were in amongst you mm. and the fact that you had data that you that you've collected for a purpose mm. and therefore you presume that you have kept control of it. The fact that you lost control of it for a period. Yeah. Therefore, if somebody said, I want to know what data you're holding about me, which they have the right to do under GDPR, and you go, oh, hang on. Well, we can't do that at the moment because <laughs> actually, you know, the crooks have put it under a cloche yeah. and we can't pry, we can't see what's underneath. So hang, give us a moment. Yeah. You can see why even ransomware would make you non-compliant. Yeah. And I guess the other problem is frequently, don't we, we see with ransomware attacks that either the ransomware rides in on the back of a bot. And we've also seen ransomware that deliberately comes along with a keylogger or a mm. banking trojan. And presumably the crooks are hoping that the ransomware, A, it will make them money. And B, it will almost be a smokescreen because you'll be Definitely. running around, restoring the files, getting rid of the ransomware, it's the in-your-face stuff, remove it, phew. Yes. job done yeah. and you might be less inclined to go looking for all the other ancillary stuff that might be around yeah dropped as a secondary or tertiary um like you're absolutely right yeah without using that as a massive distraction um and it's loud enough and brash enough of course for people to go oh my word you know i need to deal with this the other interesting thing as well which you mentioned of course is um you know, the price point earlier on uh with things like ransomware and how they've, they've actually got that just right and we of course have seen some recent incidents where Cyber criminals, and they know they've had a wider impact. Um, they've touched maybe more servers in a corporation. So therefore, it might, met, might make the cyber criminals raise their price points. We have seen a sort of a slight MO change in some recent ransomware attacks, haven't we? Where in yeah. the past, there was the pay screen. It even changed the wallpaper. They made absolutely sure you knew we've got you, we've nobbled your data, and they made sure you knew how to pay. And it was all very automated. And presumably then they're thinking, right, let's make $300 times by 100,000 victims. But it's almost as though now, if you think, I think there was a recent case of a company, it was a web hosting company, wasn't it, in That's South right. Korea, where the crooks aren't saying, here's a pay page, here's the all, it's all automated. It's more like contact us via this free webmail address. And they're waiting for somebody where they figure actually 
we've got a hundred attacks, it's all in the same company. Or actually we can see we only attacked one computer, but it wasn't a PC or a laptop. It was a server with terabytes of petabytes of stuff on it. Mm. And they just turned the volume up. Yep, and it seems that in, in this Korean case, it was backup for some thousand customers. And so the story goes, the company apparently paid, what was it, something like a million yeah. US dollars. Mm -hmm. And over 150 Linux servers were actually uh, affected. We're going to have lots of beardy blokes coming. Oh, Linux is impervious. <laughs> I wanted to avoid the beardy blokes if I could. Yeah, um, but yeah, so but Linux change... is actually a really important part of the cyber criminal infrastructure, isn't it? Yeah, the majority of malware host sites that are actually dishing up malware to the next guy, Windows malware, the places that the crooks are using for bandwidth and secret storage, they're actually somebody else's servers mm. somewhere in a server farm the majority of them are actually running Linux, not Windows. Yeah, and I think how many are actually running Apache as well, um, you know, to host websites and things like that too. So they know that if they spend the time, invest the time to target those types of machines, they're going to get a pretty you know, reasonable return on investment. James, I see that we have reached the end of the time, which is at least, which is allotted for us. Yeah. So it's time for us now to take questions from okay. our audience. That's really what this is all about. Yep, so right. I'm going to hand back to Daniela and find out if we have any interesting questions to take. Thank you both. We have a question here. What percentage of ransomware infections are attached to an email? If you ask the guys in the labs, and we actually talked about, there was a Tuesday's webinar was about phishing. Mm -hmm. I would say, I wish I could say, you know, within 5%, the majority, probably the vast majority mm -hmm. of ransomware actually doesn't come in on things like exploit kits, where your browser gets tripped and you don't get a warning. No. The majority of ransomware doesn't come in through a bot. It is mostly down to phishing an email because the crooks have kind of got quite good at that, haven't they? They've yeah. learned that they don't have to figure out how to write perfect English. They just have to use copy and paste and get the logos right. Yeah. And it, I mean, a few things. I suppose it's easier to hack a human than it is to actually hack a computer. And if you're delivering your payload via email, then you don't even really need any vulnerabilities to exist on that platform to then launch your encryption attack. You just need uh, features. You need the ability to maybe run macros. You need the ability to have PowerShell or run JavaScript um, to actually initiate the attack. So um, yeah, the trickiest thing about delivering through email is just hacking that person, i.e. social engineering. The good news is it means that actually with a good email filtering system, and a good culture around somewhere that when employees see suspicious emails that they an email address inside the company where they can report them and yeah. news can get out that really helps because yeah. an email filter stops the ransomware getting in in the first place which means that even if you know that your antivirus would block it mm. or you know if you're using a software product something like intercept x would spot the ransomware kill it off reverse all the changes save the day mm. it's much nicer if the user isn't even tempted in the first place yeah. And also, generally, when we see these attacks, it's normally not one person in the company, is it? It will be several people will be on the list at the same time. No. So if the first person who gets that email and sees the email realizes it's a fish, realizes it's a ransomware scam and reports it, word can be got out to everyone else. Definitely. Watch out for this, definitely a scam. Yeah, and I'm a massive advocate for the human firewall. So if we can, like you said, the culture is so important with regards to these kind of attacks. If we can not only equip people to look for phishing, but really weaponize them to be better security focused and talk to their IT team. If you try and solve all the problems with technology, then you end up with your employees in a position where they think, right, anything that IT doesn't block must, ipso facto, be okay. <laughs>
Daniela, back to you for any more questions. Thank you for that, Paul. Do you think ransomware will die out? And if so, what will replace it? The past is a great indicator for the future, isn't mm. it? Ransomware may it may no look may no longer be sixty percent of all attacks. Mm. Maybe it'll you know let's say it goes down to ten percent. Mm. Well, on the one hand, we'll cheer, <laughs> but on the other hand, ten percent of a lot is still quite a lot, isn't it? It is, yeah. And I, and I think as technology changes, that's going to evolve as well. Ransomware then spreading, maybe being more prolific, and things like IoT, which I know again you've talked about this week. By IoT, we mean Internet of Things. Sorry, yeah, that's which true. is that's. The little devices that you buy quite cheaply that are very cool, that in the old days, when you wanted to hook them up to the internet, you plug them into, say, your laptop with a USB cable, yeah. like a webcam or a talking doll or whatever. Yeah. These days, they've got their own computer, their own Wi-Fi, their own access point or whatever, mm -hmm. and they connect themselves to the internet and then hook themselves up to your account online. Yeah. Yeah. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> yeah, well, that's right, yeah. Uh, and, and a lot of those, unfortunately, still use default usernames and passwords, um, which is that whole aspect of you know that low-hanging fruit very easy to target um, and then of course abuse so um, yeah it'd be very interesting to see if that's something which they move into with um, with ransomware uh, very hard to predict the future with that what we've seen so far with the iot devices is they they've been largely used for denial of service haven't they i think looking at those security weaknesses that are being exploited today um, it's definitely something that we can all do to improve our situation going forward segregated networks, you know, patch early, patch often, user education, making security a priority in the business, um, as well as looking at technology as well, then we're going to be in a much better place to be prepared for whatever's coming next with things like ransomware. You don't, you don't have a good backup regimen because you're scared of ransomware. You have it because there might be a fire or a flood or somebody might delete a really important file by mistake, God forbid. Like, can you imagine that ever happening? And of course it can. And, and that means that by having that general protection, then you have the specific protection against certain sorts of cyber attack as well. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Uh, Daniela, I think there's time for one more question if there is one. Thank you, Paul. We've got a good question here. Can we discuss how big businesses are hoarding digital currency to pay extortionists, effectively funding this type of behaviour? Well, technically, hoarding bitcoins, <laughs> that itself doesn't fund cybercrime because you're allowed to own most countries, you're yep. allowed to own bitcoins. What I don't understand is if you want to hoard bitcoins, buy bitcoins now in bulk, mm. buy them because you think they're a sound investment and they're going to go up. Otherwise, yeah. why wouldn't, if you're determined to pay the crooks, why wouldn't you buy them if and when you need them? More of a I don't understand that. <laughs> no, it's, um, and it's right. It's not the first time I've, I've heard that. It's, it's quite alarming, actually, to hear that people are almost just sometimes you know, burying their head in the sands and going, well, OK, if I have enough bitcoins and I can react quickly and I can pay the ransom. But of course, as hopefully we all know, paying the ransom kind of raises a massive flag to the cyber criminals to say, oh, hey, look, you know, this business has no answer it's almost like you're, you're advertising that you've got this defeatist attitude. Very right, yeah. So uh, yeah, it, I guess it does play into the hands of the crooks. It advertises to them which companies are ready to pay. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's setting a pretty low bar. Yeah, and I wish people would take the Bitcoin money and spend it on more generic defenses or on, you know... Invest on... that in time to educate your users you know, is, is a great example. And as we've already discussed, Paul, what about then the secondary and tertiary pieces of code that are being dropped with that ransomware payload? If you're literally just saying, okay, to resolve this, we're paying, great, we're done. 
who knows what has just happened oh, yeah. to your oh, network. Oh, we didn't buy enough Bitcoins because now we have to buy back all the passwords they stole <laughs> and all the data they stole and all yeah. the customer social security numbers that seem to have walked out of the door. Yeah. It, it seems a little bit defeatist to me. We have overshot a little bit. Oh, so I'm getting oh, the you must stop now from Daniela. So Dan, Daniela, I was hoping I'd get through this whole webinar without making a mistake and I did on the last go. Daniela, uh, I hand back to you and you can uh, lead us out and explain to our listeners what happens next. Thanks for that, Paul. I thought we'd get to the end of the week with you saying my name correctly as well. Thank you all for joining us today for Security SOS Week Webinar Summit. At the end of the webinar, you'll be served a short survey. If you could please fill this in for us. Please feel free to leave any questions that weren't answered in today's webinar and we will get back to you with an answer. Thanks very much and have a great day.